Hey, what's up? My name is Rob Halen, and welcome to the Proof of Talent podcast, the show where we talk about everything related to the career journey within the blockchain, crypto, and Web3 space. Today, we have a great guest. It is Greg Clayman from Chapter One, and this episode is really packed with information for early-stage founders, as well as employees at early-stage companies who are involved in the hiring process. Greg occupies a very interesting role within the crypto space. He has operated as a talent partner at both A16Z and now Chapter One. And in his role, he helps to advise and support a variety of companies, portfolio companies for Chapter One right now in their recruiting and hiring processes. So he has some fantastic advice for early stage founders, for people involved in the hiring decision. And if you are a job seeker, it's also worth hearing the thought process that Greg has and some of the advice that he gives as well. I think you'll also be interested in hearing that. Before we hop into the episode, just want to let you know that if you are job seeking right now, feel free to go to the links in the YouTube description and the podcast description. Feel free to reach out to us at Proof of Talent. We are a recruiting firm that works exclusively within the blockchain, crypto, and Web3 space. Or if you are hiring for your company or looking for support in the hiring process, we are here to help out as well. Would love to talk to you. Again, a link for that will also be in the YouTube and podcast description. Now, let's hop into that conversation with Greg Clayman from Chapter One. Your first role in this space was at Chronicled, correct? Correct, yep. Um, with that position, so you were in internal HR, and then you've been in the VC world since then. What What's kind of been, what was working in the internal crypto HR recruiting land like? Yeah, so I joined Chronicled from Google. Um, and so at Google, obviously, wasn't working in blockchain. Um, I was on Google Cloud team working, um, hiring sales engineers and solutions architects and those sorts of people. Um, specifically wanted to get into the blockchain space. So this is 2017, 2018, around when Bitcoin really popped. And there's always like those people at those companies that are like really into crypto and just bugging everyone else on the team about it. And that was one of my teammates. That was me. Yeah. And, and that's exactly like how everyone got into the space. So I started looking around. Chronicled at the time seemed interesting. They were doing like, it was distributed ledger technology, track and trace type stuff. Um, and the role itself was all encompassing everything. It was HR, recruiting, compensation. Um, and so I, I think now I tell people like, I wouldn't go back to an HR role. And I think that HR and recruiting need to be separate functions, but that's probably a different conversation. Um, mostly because when you're doing internal HR in the blockchain and crypto space, like your job becomes more HR than recruiting. So my first day at Chronicle, the CEO came to me and said like, hey, we have a few people who didn't get their visa in the recent H-1B lottery. So we need to find a spot for them to work. Can we get a, an office in Vancouver immediately? And so I spent my whole first day, like before doing any like onboarding stuff or any like paperwork or filling out like the I-9 stuff, like literally trying to find office space to house people in Vancouver. And so I think it was like 6.30 or 7.30, the night of like the first Monday that we were able to find an office space, move people in. And at that point, it's like, oh, this is what internal HR at a blockchain company is like. <laughs> it's like, everything is last minute. We're going to scramble. Um, I guess like, just to like, yeah, wrap up the story. I, I was only at Chronicled about four months or so, but I was like, tell people I probably accomplished more there than I did like any other job. Um, the, like the office space was a big win, like did a lot of visa paperwork with our lawyers and worked a lot with like the government in Canada because our solution at the point was to hire people from like Ukraine and Belarus and Eastern Europe and relocate them. So had to work with the government of Canada going through legal compliance of posting jobs there and 
that was a lot of my time. Um, and so internal HR in blockchain space, not like sexy or glamorous or anything, but a lot of just like background work and legal and compliance and basically the same thing that founders are going through trying to make sure that their companies are legit and legal. We were doing the same thing on the people front, making sure that our people could actually work legally. Beyond Chronicled, so I think, you know, from from like our point of view at Proof Talent, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this space is obviously like the VC land. Um, but like your role in particular and your background in particular is really interesting from what you've done at A16Z and now chapter one, would love to hear about the role at A16Z, how you found that and, and what you did there. Yeah. So I mentioned that Chronicled was only about four months and, and I guess like we're going to go raw and uncut. I don't want to say I was bait and switched when joining, but it was definitely promised like a lot of things that weren't true. And one of them was really the financial situation in Chronicled. So when I joined, we were looking to raise around. And the company pivoted literally like three or four times in the few months that I was there trying to find product market fit, whether we should do like pharmaceutical track and trace or work with oil or work with wine and, and, and like provenance, stuff like that. So the whole time we're pitching investors and I'm on the other side of the coin, going to these meetings and just explaining our vision for talent and hiring and what we're doing on the people side. Um, Chronicled pitched A16Z, which was a hard pass for them and like rightfully so at the time. And um, But that said, it got me interested because this was right when A16Z had raised their first crypto fund. So this is summer 2018. And I was connected with Eric Thomas over there, who um, I had previously sort of worked with when I was at Imager, which was an A16Z investment. So, I mean, TLDR is that everything is just networking and connection. So I pinged Eric after Chronicled pitched A16Z and um, messaged on LinkedIn and basically said, hey, like, I'm not sure if you're looking for, you know, recruiters for this new fund, but I'd love to throw my hat in the ring. And Eric responded pretty quickly and was like, yeah, let's have a chat. Like at the time, there were very few people doing any sort of recruiting in the Web3 space. And so I guess I kind of just got lucky in right place, right time. And um, yeah, somehow that all worked out and that was a pretty good decision and it's a lot better being on this side, on the VC side. It's 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 always busy, but it's a different type of busy. And I, I really like that and like being able to, you know, see what's going on in the industry and have a pulse on that. So like that really inspired me to make the move is like rather than use all, you know, my my manpower working on one company and scaling them, it's how can we help the industry succeed in general and with something pretty nascent like Web3, that was just like really appealing is like, how can we just level everyone up and make everyone better? So um, yeah, kind of a no brainer to join. I feel like every time I have a conversation with Greg, I'm I'm just deeply inspired. And like, it's it's something new. You're, you're always up to something great. And like you said, it's all about the relationship aspect. And it's good that you kept in touch with Eric over at A16Z. I'm curious to hear more like, what was it like pivoting from internal? Because it sounds like up to that point, you'd never worked for a VC firm yet. Right. And that's, that's a whole portfolio of companies to support. What was it like making that pivot and kind of how did that day-to-day differ? Yeah, the the one thing we discussed today, 16Z, a lot, we're like, who are our customers? Who are our clients? Is it the LPs? Is it the founders? Is it the candidates we're dealing with? And so I think that's like the big difference between working internally at a VC firm and working at a company like it, it, when you're in-house you're you want to make your company the best you want to make sure that you're hiring the best people um, so that you can succeed and that everything works out well and we're all gonna you know we're in this together um, at the VC firm again it, it's more of that like view of the industry itself and so like I'm not incentivized or 
like on a commission base to like throw a bunch of crap at the wall and see what sticks. It's really like, how can we match the right people at the right time with the right company? And so like, like in terms of like what I was doing there, I, I, I don't think like talent roles in VC are as glamorous as people think. I, like on the recruiting <laughs> front, it's, it's a lot of sourcing. And so what, what actually, yeah. so like we could take a step back. Not everybody either knows it or like it's kind of unique and maybe something newish. Like what exactly is a, a talent partner at a VC? Like what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, great question. Um, and so I, I think it's everything from helping companies find candidates. And I, I tell people like a lot of my job is playing professional best friend and, and professional evangelist and just like hyping up, you know, companies and candidates and, and being a matchmaker. Um, but it, like in reality, it's a lot of sourcing. And so um, like the big tech companies separate recruiters and sourcers and have like early career people source and pass things to recruiters who get all the glory and whatnot and, and, and take all this success on their side. And I like a lot of what I do, I think, would be what like the sources at Google or a Facebook do. And it's just reaching out, finding people in unique backgrounds and having those conversations. That I think is a small piece of the job, but it's probably the most time consuming. The larger piece is really being like the trusted advisor to the founders. So like I always say that my goal is to take all the people stuff off the founder's shoulder so they can go back and focus on what they're good at, which is building. Some of the things that like we'll do here on on like a day-to-day is I'll hold like hands-on sourcing sessions with the founders and really just go through real time collaboration um, and, and and figure out like how we can find high quality candidates and who matches. And from there we can create like hiring templates and interview loops and set up internal recruiting infrastructure from that to like the nitty gritty of actually like writing the job descriptions and just kind of like publicizing them across social media channels. And I'll help with interview questions. I've helped design take home assignments. Um, I'll jump in you know, on final round interviews with people and, and kind of assess on the culture fit side because the founders we invest in are generally technical. Um, and then I guess the other big piece is like evaluating different recruiting agencies and tools they can use to like just enhance their own resources. Um, I, like my bandwidth is pretty limited given that, you know, we're overseeing right now like 25 companies. A16Z when I left was 105 or so. Um, and so the That's idea crazy. is like, yeah, making connections with people who can make their lives easier. And so I want to make sure that I'm connected to the best people in the space. Again, like a proof of talent um, that can just supplement everything that they're doing and just really like make their lives a lot easier on the hiring front or on the people front so that, you know, everyone is kind of working towards this goal of either launching a product or IPO or, or fundraise. And like, how do we get the best people in their corner for that? So I'm just kind of like the people aggregator on my side. In that journey, right, you're advising different founders. Do you find them to be like very receptive to help on the talent side? Sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, and I think going ahead, like to, you know, advice that I'd give founders and we can cover this later too, but um, I, I think most of the founders that we talk to, and I guess just generally, they don't know what they don't know. And so if I mentioned something like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, necessarily have the bandwidth or have the expertise to hire like a quant developer, but here's someone who knows that space. And here's a contingency based firm you should talk to. There's a lot of pushback. It's like, oh, I've worked with recruiters before and they don't help, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so the ones who aren't receptive to feedback generally aren't doing as well. And like the biggest secret I always tell founders, and I actually took this from Chris Dixon at A16Z is like, we don't care if you're going to spend $40,000, $50,000, whatever, to hire someone game-changing. 
we're going to care a lot more if you go like six to eight months and not hire anyone burn runway be at the same place you were when you started like don't worry about making us happy by nickel and diming people like get the best people and everything else kind of falls into place so um so are they always receptive not always but i think a lot of it is just kind of experience and making sure that yeah they 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 learn from their mistakes and not really like punishing them but kind of just guiding them and making them see you know here's the result of what happened or what didn't happen from your inaction. Yeah, that's that's a it's a really good point. And I think we could probably take this in a couple of different directions. Um, but we'll stick on maybe things that early stage or could be a little bit beyond early stage, but like other kind of missteps or or errors that you might see in the hiring process from early stage companies or early stage founders. Like is there anything else that stands out as something that is easily correctable uh for early stage founders when when they are going through a hiring process? With a lot of early stage companies, I, I feel like there's two directions. And one is like hire people that you've worked with before and have conviction on and um, and, and that are just in your network and, and make sure you're using that extended network for your first few hires. And I always recommend that route first. And I think that's great. At the same time, that can create a lot of just like sameness in the company. And so one of the things that I've always done, and this was, I guess, going back to A16Z is making sure we have partnerships with different like DAOs or organizations that are working on like building diverse pipelines. And so I, I, I think there's times where founders will be really set in their ways. And it's like, I want a Stanford grad who has a CS degree, who's worked at Facebook and Google. And the problem is what they've been doing doesn't translate to building a, a two or three person company. And so it's the same with talent. I, I like, I, I hear this a lot too. And I, like reiterate this, the, the person who can help you build a company from like zero to 20 people is going to be a lot different than someone who's managing a talent process from like 100 plus people. And so there's certain people that work in certain stages. And when founders come to me, when early stage founders come to me and say, hey, we're looking to hire our first engineer, we want someone who's built this at Google and Snapchat and whatnot. And and there's nothing on the other side that says like, why would this person be successful? That's a, just a huge red flag for me. And so I spend a lot of time educating on that piece yeah it makes a lot of sense i mean i feel like especially since being in a talent space like i feel like founders should probably do more of a due diligence like preparing for searches and like actually doing some back-end work within their internal team like what are we looking for what's the, the the right type of candidate i mean is that is that something you typically would advise on as well as like putting some systems in place before every search so that it is like a successful process, whether working with an agency or just doing it with, with someone like yourself. Yeah. I think that calibration piece is super important. And I guess I can steal this from A16Z. So I'll give them a shout here too. But um, one of the things that Jeff Stump who runs executive talent over there did when he first started like 12, 13 years ago was develop a process called a mock. So mission outcomes and competencies. And until they, in, until a founder starts that mock document with them, they don't engage on any executive searches. They literally go through, say, fill out this like two-page document. What's the mission that you're trying to achieve? What's like the outcome of this? And what competencies do these people need to have? And just kind of going through that process helps them really figure out, oh, I guess we didn't need someone from Google. We need someone who knows how to scale infrastructure and has built from zero to one. And maybe a kid coming out of school, maybe someone with 20 years experience, but it really like opens people up to or opens up their understanding of like what the market looks like and what's out there and so do a lot of that um yeah it's really tough to i 
I, I guess the founders who are very dead set on on having a specific person for a specific role to solve a specific niche, I'll I'll suggest they use consultants for something like that. I've been doing that a lot with smart contract developers, to be honest, because I I don't see a lot of like long term. Um, success with people saying we need to hire a smart contract dev they build one thing and then they have nothing else for them so it really is thinking beyond and like how you want to build the company and the culture at that point and so do you need mercenaries do you need long-term people who are going to stay here and build a company that's kind of what i want to help them think through yeah i think the thought process too even like when you were talking about a founder saying, I want, because we hear it a lot too. I want somebody from Stanford or XYZ Ivy League school, and they need to have worked at Facebook or Google or you know, Snapchat, whatever it might be. And I want them to join my three person company. And I also want to pay them 40% of what they're making at, at Snapchat. I think a lot of times you founders have to think about the incentives behind things too, because there are, and that's what I tell people as well is, there are only so many people in the world that are going to take the that are going to fit that exact profile number one because uh, there's only so many of those individuals that have that level of of talent or background or pedigree but then there, there is also only so many of those people that are willing to accept a potential pay cut and then that believe in your company enough to where the upside of the equity or the token justifies making that move and so at that point in time you've narrowed it down to the three people in the world that are potentially interested in exactly what you're doing for that exact, you know, exact rate. And then you have to find them at the exactly right time. It's, it's like trying to widen the, the, the net just a little bit in terms of like broadening that thinking. Yeah. It's not an easy job, right? So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think like the education piece and I, I like, like intentionally put that in my title on LinkedIn too is talent and education. And and the education piece, I think it's huge for these founders and especially in the web three space where you got to have a lot of first time founders and a lot of like people who skew younger. Um, it, it's, it's a big piece of, of just the learning process for them. So yeah, I, I think that comes up a lot is just having them understand like what incentive would I, as a, like a founding engineer have to join your company, take on all the risk, and not have any of the upside that you're taking as the founder. So that, that's like a big, big piece to think through and um, a big like thing that I push back on a lot. So um, yeah, totally, totally understand like that frustration that comes from, from helping them find that role. I think that might be one of the biggest challenges for founders in Web3 as well too, is like finding the right people that can fully commit to their, to their passion, right? Like the best teams that we see out there have, you know, previously those leaders probably already scaled a business, came from like amazing backgrounds, amazing companies. And some of these earlier and younger founders, you know, they don't have that leverage as much. So it's like really figuring out what's your value proposition and like what what can you give, you know, from your company that's really going to attract, you know, uh, engineer from Consensus or mm-hmm. someone from OpenSea. And so it's like, yeah, really, really defining, like, like you said, your mission too, right? I think it has to be more clear than ever when you're going to go and hire someone, because if it's, it's not, you're going to miss out on, on a really good person. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. I, I, when we look at um, founders, we kind of define it with like freshman founders versus senior founders. And I guess like I, I should probably pull data instead of just saying like, this is what I'm observing, but like, it seems that the senior founders and the people that either come from web two backgrounds or have started a company before seem to be doing a bit better right now, just because they have 
those battle scars. But at the same time, like that, I don't want to discredit like the the like really smart 20, 22 year olds that are starting these companies because I mean they know far more than I do about this world. It's just there's there's always some like maturing that has to go into actually building a company beyond like here's a great product I want to build versus like here's how you scale a company. And ideally, like that's where we come in and we say like if we have a team of early stage or, or early career founders, here's like a, a senior person or an advisor that we can pair you with and, and make sure that everything balances out. So um, those are the companies I see doing the best is the ones who understand that they're they don't know all the answers right away and they're going to need some external help. Yeah, it's funny because I think one of the names that popped into my head as you're talking through this, because we see that too, there's a lot of times uh, younger, maybe like first roll out of, of school, you know, have come from an incredible pedigree, first first roll of school, come into hiring and, and founding a company, have a little bit of trouble hiring or just like conceptualizing the hiring process because they really haven't done it before. And some of them have never even had a, a real like full-time job post-college before they started their own company. Um, but like somebody on the flip side that I think like kind of defies that in some cases, like Hayden from Uniswap, I think had a job professionally, like as an engineer for a few years, but was never like a founder before Uniswap. And now Uniswap's a multi-billion dollar project with, you know, I think a hundred plus employees. So I think there's no, no one size fits all. But I mean, for me, even before starting Proof of Talent, I worked for at a number of different companies for like eight, eight plus years. And half my management is just knowing what I like that other people used to manage me yeah. did and knowing what I didn't like and just kind of using that and being like, all right, I've, I've experienced this before. Yeah, 100% agreed. I and, and that's sort of like going back to Chronicled and like the HR roles, it was pulling like all the stuff that didn't work at like a large company like Google or um, I, I was at Zynga when it was growing too. like what didn't work there that could work well here and what worked well that I can, you know, take with me. And I've done the same with, with chapter one, a lot of the stuff from Andrews and Horowitz was pretty well built out. And so and, and it worked. Um, and then to the point with Hayden, I, I agree, I worked with Hayden pretty early. And, and um, we, you know, we knew him before, I guess, he started Uniswap or before they were even fundraising. And, and one thing that's stuck out to me was he was invited to one of our like compliance regulatory talks. And even during that, he had his laptop up and he was working on the product and like it's people like that that are so focused on what they're building and have so much conviction like that sort of person is certainly like who i want to be aligned with as as like an early stage investor and and um when a16z invested in uniswap one of the things that they did well is we were able to partner him with like a really strong coo at the time um mc and, and just like more senior leadership so that he he could really build a product and they could focus more on like the actual company building part so um i don't know i think uniswap did it right for sure what avenues of success like do you see is it are there certain like places where companies are having a lot of of success whether it is i know you've mentioned like agencies like proof of talent there's um if there's if there's other consultancies websites like what's what's kind of working right now for these companies i i go back to like you said like the the agencies like proof of talent so um i i guess part of it is i i don't understand why companies and and this goes for like a good majority of our portfolio as well are reluctant to utilize contingency based recruiting agencies like there's no cost to them you're receiving top talent i still get a lot of pushback and i wonder if they just don't understand the model or not but the idea of like here's someone who is like uniquely positioned to identify the top talent bring you top people and 
and and have this almost like on a platter for you like that seems to be the best way to go about it like what i do is very generalized it's when i talk to people it's on behalf of chapter 1 and and our port and 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 our firm not on behalf of individual portfolio companies and i think i have to reiterate that every conversation with the founders is like yes i can help you hire you know x developer like for your company but you're going to be better off speaking with someone who can be like a dedicated account rep for you um just given that we don't have a single company with in-house recruiting talent in our portfolio right now because they're all early stage. So that I think is a great avenue. Um, what I've been doing um, lately with companies like Spindle who are doing like a lot of um, like Web3 attribution and data is I've been going through like Dune wizards list and trying to identify like who these anonymous Dune wizards are and reaching out to them, seeing if they have any interest in going in-house. And that's worked. Spindle's hired a couple of Dune wizards um, who are like truly like anonymous and they don't know who these people are, but they do good work. So I feel like there's always like a new avenue to go down that people are discovering. Like I know like when I first started my career, it was like GitHub repositories and finding GitHub email addresses. And then we moved to Twitter for a bit. And now, now it seems to be Dune and and spaces like that where people can contribute and show like referenceable work. So um, I'd still recommend yeah recruiting agencies first. And then maybe some of these like, uh, like obscure places like a Dune site second. Can can you explain what a Dune wizard is? That's yeah. not, not familiar with that one. It so sounds these are, yeah, these are people <laughs> literally making dashboards of data um, based on, I guess, whatever they want to research and whatever the data is. So there's a lot of like DeFi and yield stuff on there. Um, with Spindle, they're looking for people who have done like marketing and attribution type stuff. So it's like who's visiting a site from Twitter, like who's clicking on these like click through links and finding your website based on something they're seeing elsewhere. And these are just data scientists and data engineers kind of compiling all this and making it look pretty. And so it's a really good spot for them. It's, it's similar um, when we used to do like a lot of design hiring, like a dribble or just someplace you can put like your portfolio and it's just like a portfolio for data scientists. So um, I think that's, that's been like a pretty decent hotspot. The, Downside again is that no one uses their real names or locations or anything. So yeah. um, you're kind of yeah just uh, going around in the dark figuring out who these people are. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a couple of the different research firms looking for people that have uh, compiled like super legit and popular Dune dashboards, and I, I love them too because it's like the best. It's just the on chain. It's something like that. Something like Nansen, although Nansen is a little bit more like just a kind of a, a productized version where it's not as crowdsource per se um but dune is pretty cool because you could see all of the just like individual dashboards that people make yeah and so i think that's a lot of what i do is just kind of staying on top of where these people are going to be and so at the same time like i said not a ton of bandwidth so it'd be great if i could partner with someone who had the time to go through these dune dashboards and, and find candidates for people so um yeah it all comes back to making sure you have the right partnerships with people in the industry yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like there's a lot of maybe like fear or like lack of education, especially like with some of the resources that are out there for growing teams like a recruiting agency. Like what are some of the biggest um, just like misconceptions or pushback that you get from founders? Pushback like, is, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Good. I would say the pushback's always cost just without a doubt. And I think part of that probably comes from our side on like the VC side is because every conversation, the first two questions are what's your runway, what's your burn? Like how much, how much runway do you have left? Um, if it's below like whatever, 12 months, 15 months, like, yeah, there's concern. So it's like, why would I spend $40,000 to hire someone? 
Um, and, and I think that's the wrong way to approach it. Like I said, like if you're hiring the right person, that 40,000 leads to a series A or leads to you getting your product out sooner. So I think like that's the one thing I want to drive home all the time. And I don't get like really frustrated talking about this because I just don't understand it from the founder perspective as to like, if you can hire someone, why don't you? So, um, so the cost is a big one. Um, the other is, I, I, I think like not understanding like what value these people can bring. And so I, I guess like to say that, so what I'm trying to build now, rather than like with all the sourcing I'm doing with like these individual contributor engineers is I want to build like a bigger advisory type network. So we need people on like the legal side, um, design side, marketing side, who are like senior folks that have like been there, done that, that can work as an advisor with these companies. Um, and then I don't know what the incentive is um, on the company side. I don't know if it's offering advisory shares or some sort of like hourly rate, but, um, but legal fees are huge. Like we have, we have, you know, legal firms charging like a thousand dollars an hour for advice. Um, at that point, hire internally or use an advisor or something. So I think the pushback we get is this is so expensive and it's, 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 it's expensive because you're making it expensive, not because we don't have the resources to help you. So, um, so that's, that's really the big pushback is cost, like almost 100% of the time. I saw you posted something fairly recently about job descriptions and how companies can do them better. Why are job descriptions important and what can founders improve upon with them? Yeah, great question. So this came up um, because we've had a lot of portfolio companies, I guess, start to open roles. But the issue is that it, everything's very generic. And what happens is you get a lot of noise, which you're going to get anyway from job descriptions. I, I, I guess I'll caveat this by saying I don't really expect people to make hiring or, or to do a lot of hiring from job descriptions or make like top tier hires because most people aren't going to be looking. But Going through the process of writing a job description and understanding what you're looking for helps with just the calibration process in general. And so I, I, I think just that idea of crafting it and not going to like a chat GPT and saying like, write me a, an engineering job description and it's this person needs JavaScript and React. This person needs to have experience with Node. Like, like why do they need this experience? Like, what is this leading to? And it goes back to that whole, like, what's the outcome that you're looking for from this role, like what competencies do they need to have and, and where can we give and take? And so um, I, I think it's less the actual job description being out there. That said, like can be a good signal that you're hiring and that you want people, but more so like the founders thinking through, okay, like is, would I apply to this job? Does this make sense? Does this get me excited about this company? And I've just seen too many things that just create noise and it's too generic and you don't learn anything about the company or the founders or the job or or anything. So it's, it's, I mean, it's almost like um, reverse psychology for the founders. It's write a job description that you would apply to and see if they can come up with something. I mean, if you look at the job, like job descriptions on LinkedIn for like different openings or crypto jobs, like they're, they're awful. And right. then they're wondering like, Oh, we're getting a thousand applicants. We're overrun with candidates. It's like, it's so hard to actually sift through and actually find where someone's good. Like, taking the time to actually write a strong description that's very detailed will more than likely actually attract like the candidate that you need. Um, yeah, I find that, find that interesting, but it, I feel like it's more so a tool for the internal team as well. <laughs> so it's like checking back, like, all right, this, this is exactly what we need in this search. So yeah, definitely, definitely crucial to, to button up the this job descriptions yeah, uh, as you go into Q3 and Q4. Yeah, it really informs it, like you said, like the interview process too. It's we were looking for this. Does this person 
you know, tick those boxes when we interview them. Like it, it just makes it easier down the line, just starting with a solid foundation. So, um, yeah, like I said, it, 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 it's not important for the sake of getting rid of the noise. You're going to get that anyway. It's just so much more important that everyone's internally is on the same page. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that it's all about like putting in the upfront work and the more work, the more like pre-work you do prior to starting a just a, a recruiting cycle on a specific position, I feel like it's usually better for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so refreshing for us to to talk to even now early stage founders sometimes to, who have a like really well fleshed out job description. They have a like hiring matrix. They have a bunch of of questions around what they're looking at, how they're looking to to pose a role to somebody in exact like if it's very hard for you or an agency or anybody to figure out, all right, you know, here's who we're going to go recruit. If you don't actually have that written down, it's nearly impossible. Exactly. And I guess to that point, I, I love seeing companies start to add like what the interview process actually looks like too mm-hmm. in their um, job descriptions or on their website. So we have a few companies in our portfolio that are doing that because I'm stressing it. Um, but that it, it, as a candidate, I'm just thinking like if I'm applying to jobs right now and given like what the market looks like and I see people, it's like I applied to 1200 jobs in the last month. Like I hadn't heard back. It's why would you do that? But if you know what the, what it looks like, it's like first call is going to be with the hiring manager. Second will be, you know, with the team. Third will be a take home. Like I'm going to mentally prepare for that more and I'm going to be way more engaged with the company knowing what I have to do to get that role. So um, I, I, I just feel like there's a lot of improvements that can be made on something that really hasn't been iterated on in a decade or two. I feel like beyond that too, like um, I hear from so many people like in interviews and candidates, I made a post about this as well as like proper interview etiquette from the communication side of things. I feel like that's where companies lose a lot of candidates, especially on the developer side, right? Oh, you yeah. guys have six, seven, eight interviews at great companies and if you're not consistently updating these guys with feedback, I feel like you're you're missing out on a potential gem that could five, ten x your business. Is that something that you see, like, or, or just advising other founders with as well? Trying to, yeah. I I, I saw that post, and then yeah, same. I, I wrote one about a month ago about um, someone I'm working with who went through, I think, like seven or eight like interviews over like a two and a half month span, and at the end they said, "Oh, you're too senior for this role." We needed someone more. It's like, these are things we could have sussed out. And like going back, like, I, I don't know how Google ever hired people. Um, we Like those processes ran forever. We had hiring committee and people were okay, like waiting it out because it was Google. This doesn't work for like your, your five person company right now. So um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm also very anti um, the, like the work trials. And I know there's a lot of crypto companies doing like one week long work trials right now. I think that that eliminates a lot of potential people and then introduces a ton of bias into the process. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just be communicative. That's, I mean, that solves so many problems in this industry and it's just not happening. So yeah, completely agree. The, the speed of interview process, I, I think from our end is like speed and immediate or quick feedback seems to be something that a lot of companies can improve upon. Cause I think like you said, it's really difficult to engage a candidate for two and a half months. And if they are actively on the job market, expect another, expect 
them to not find an, if they're a great candidate, which you know, hopefully they are because otherwise, why are you interviewing them? Uh, but if they're a great candidate, not expect them to to make a move in a time faster than that with a company that's more efficient than that. Yeah, 100%. I, I think most people would do a better job just having some conviction and just making a decision. And I guess that just comes back to like the, the, the top thing that I think we need to look at from founders and from early stage companies. And I'm stealing this from Adam Draper's book that I just read. It's just a bias towards action or bias towards movement, I think he said. And so that's the biggest thing for me is, is um, yeah, make a decision. And, and again, like I mentioned earlier, like I'd, I'd rather have people spend money than go six to eight months. Like I, I just feel like even if you have to fire someone that you've hired quickly or whatever, like it's still infinitely worse than making uh, or, or than doing nothing. Like at least you've made a decision. You understand what yep. not to do next time. And yeah, it may look bad for a little bit, but at least, you know, there's some learning going on in that process. So um, yeah, if, if there's any takeaway from this whole conversation, it's biased towards action. I don't know where I heard that. It was, I don't think it was Adam Draper recently, but I, I do like that phrase a lot too. And I think it's, it's something that applies in a lot of avenues, but I think especially in like business leadership, because like you said, I think a lot of going to the point or the story you mentioned with the two and a half month interview process that wasn't necessarily because somebody it do, doesn't take you two and a half months to figure out that somebody is too senior. It takes you two and a half months to, to decide whether or not to make a move on somebody because you're too nervous to say yes or no. Right. And that's, that's like the issue. And and you could have saved yourself and the candidate probably a month and a half minimum if you were able to to take that action earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and, and I mean, these are like reputable companies in the space, too. So I think that's the other thing, too, is people see that happening and see that working and try and replicate that as well. But not every company can go through a hiring committee and, and wait forever to hire someone. So, um, yeah, you need to understand sort of where you sit in the ecosystem right now, too. Greg, I feel like you're you're obviously in a very unique position, like at a VC, working with a bunch of different uh, porcos, you know, What's what's kind of the overall state of the market in your opinion for hiring right now? Um, I, I will say, like for us, I, I definitely feel like it's picking up, which is really exciting. We've been approached by other VC firms, which is a great indication. But mm-hmm. curious from your lens and, and perspective, like what what's going on right now? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think it's picking up um, certainly more than it was like first quarter of this year too. And I have to imagine after we get through summer and people, you know, take their time off and these layoffs, uh, their whatever severance runs out, we'll start to see more too. Um, I, I'm still not seeing a ton on the non-technical side. And that might be me because I've spoken with other folks who said that like the non-technical hiring is picking back up. They're seeing more on marketing and strategy and ops. Um, I'd, I'd love to see more of that. But at least with our companies, which again, it's pre-seed, seed stage, like early stage, it's mostly just technical hiring right now. Um, and I'm still not seeing product manager roles, which is tough because it's a lot of good product managers out there that could use um, use a change of scenery. But as far as engineering talent, yeah, like just a huge demand again for engineering folks. Um, the other trend I'm starting to see is more people requiring on-site versus remote. So that's that's come up more and more recently. Um, again, I have my own opinion there. I work fully remote. I've, I'm, I think I'm way more effective doing that. Um, that might be the next conversation I have with our founders is, is they need to stop limiting themselves with the talent pool because we do have companies that are looking for people specifically in like a Denver or a Cayman Islands or something like that. And that just really 
really limits it when you already have people excited to work, but they want to stay in San Francisco or DC or New York or something. So yeah. I think that'll probably be one of the next things I write about. Good. Could do an entire podcast episode on remote versus oh, yeah. in person for early stage hiring. I have that a lot is, of uh, opinions there. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole there. <laughs> I, I I do I do too, but I it's funny because it's like I have my own opinions, but when it comes down to it, it's like that's their it's their company. Yeah, exactly. They're gonna grow it how they want to do it. So my opinions don't really matter as much, and as, especially as an agency recruiter, it's like whatever you want to do, I'm gonna have to do it. So. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm the same way. So I definitely have like. Yeah, I I can only advise so much and can only guide so much. I'm not going to force any opinions on them. And I think that's a big thing too, is like I'm I'm behind our founders' decisions hundred percent and I'm gonna make sure that we make it work. Um it doesn't mean I'm not gonna judge them for um for their decisions, but but we're gonna make it work somehow. Just uh wrapping up here, I mean, at this point in time, would love to uh, you know, know if there's anything you wanna leave off with. Is there if there's any topics we didn't cover or if there's any you know, any kind of shout out you wanna do in terms of your portfolio or what you're working on at this point in time? Yeah, I'd say um the big piece that I, I wanna touch on is is just like always be interviewing. And um that's I I've certainly like hired more people or or not hired, I've I've placed more people like opportunistically than from actual open roles. And so we talk about the importance of job descriptions, maybe not. Um, definitely have seen more people get hired and, and work at companies just from um, just from having like initial conversations and, and founders being open to that. And um, like, I, I get that, you know, founders want to be heads down and building, but like people that are excited about your product could be, you know, potential coworkers or customers or angel investors or something. And so like, that's, I, I think that the, like, there's a couple things that I try and stress with our founders, but that's a big one. It's just like, if I'm introducing someone to you that like says they're excited about your project, take 15, 30 minutes and talk to them because you have no idea what's going to happen there. And I, like, certainly like the biggest wins I had at A16Z on the hiring side came from just like, hey, like founder, like Hayden, just meet this person and see if, you know, you jibe with them. And so that's the big piece of advice for founders. Um, in terms of what I'm working on and in chapter one and whatnot, like I said, like I, I just, I'm continuing to just build this advisor pool now. So um, more senior folks, people who have been like in that VP director level at a web two company who are like curious about web three, I'd be happy to chat. Like I, again, it's a lot of education and, um, and just, this is an exciting place to be still. So um, there's been just a lot of noise and bear market and whatnot the last six months, but I still feel like all the best talent in the world is in this space right now. The people who are doing um, doing things in this space have like a lot of conviction and the bear market maybe scared a bunch of people out and maybe that was a good thing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still as bullish as ever on web three. Love it. Love it. I mean, you guys heard it here first, you know, there's no better place to be than yeah. three right now. And Greg, you're, you're definitely one of the top leaders in talent. So I really appreciate you, you coming on and dropping so much wisdom. I think we've been connected now for almost a year. Yeah. David made that introduction. Uh, shout out to David and um yeah it's just exciting to follow your journey and i'm I'm stoked to see what chapter one has in store for the for the rest of the year yeah appreciate that and likewise like so much respect for everything proof of talent has done just literally building like the preeminent like arguably top you know recruiting agency in the space in a few short years and um same thing rob and i were connected prior to proof of talent at a16z so shout out to jesse walden over at variant for making that intro um and just seeing this grow over the last few or I guess probably three or four years at this point has just been incredible. So um, yeah, really excited. And again, appreciate the time and being able to kind of just rant on what I see. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Greg. Awesome. Thank you.